Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Tonight, I want to talk on how the gospel creates generous believers. All right. So what I want to do is we're going to talk about generosity, not so much about money. I'm not going to talk so much about finances. Um, yeah, that's, that's been a little bit of a, a sensitive topic for the church the last few decades, I guess, because of mass manipulation around finances and preachers and I don't know how they get this to go through church boards, but buying incredible jets and, and, and building mansions. And, and so the church has gotten quite a bad name for when it comes to, to finances and stuff, but we have to talk about it because we have to correct in one sense where the church have sinned and we cannot take this idea of generosity, or let's talk about it for a moment, money. We can't take it and separate it from, our, from church or from being a disciple because it is a part of it. I think what we want to separate ourselves from is from any type of uh, manipulation or misuse when it comes to this, but we have to address it in the right way, amen? We don't talk about this a lot. We have to go here, and you'll see why this is very, very important to talk about. We're not going to talk so much about means, but a lot more about the heart, what makes certain people generous, and what makes others not generous, and why there is a warning out there for you and me here tonight that you can take and say, Lord, so help me whether I understand my salvation, whether I understand the gospel, and whether I understand generosity. It's very important. Um, what I also said this morning, so uh, it's, it's funny, with the morning church, was there anyone here this morning except for the media team? Hello, media team. You're less legends. Um, also, Shantae and Solna. Solna, you're furniture. You know? <laughs> No. Let's give Solna a clap. She's a blessing in the office. We celebrate you, Solna. Um, she makes better coffee than Brown, but Brown always loses our office game, and then he needs to make coffee for the week. So it's a lose-lose situation. <laughs> but this morning when I said I want to talk about finance, you can see all those older people almost, you know, straightening up in their chairs like he comment no. Um, but, but they enjoyed it, and I know it will actually impact your life because it did mine. We don't have a project that's coming up, just so you know. We don't have special cards we're handing out here. Uh, we don't have any new people we want to put on staff. Our staff is amazing. We only want to teach our sheep what is important about generosity. That's it. Uh, we don't want to buy a building or stuff like that. When we do that, we will tell you. But that's not the case right now. So let's just learn from this the best we can. My target for tonight, therefore, as I've stated, is not more money from anyone, but your heart. 
That's my target. That's where I'm aiming at. So open your heart. Check this incredible quote from John Piper. He says, So the way you worship with your money and your possessions. Okay, if everything is supposed to be worshipped, so then how do I worship with money and possessions? Here's how. Is to get them and use them and lose them in a way that shows how much you treasure God, not money. All right. That's a good quote. That's something worth remembering. Now, let's quickly head from there into Scripture. Sit back. We're going to read a nice portion of Scripture together, and then we're going to dissect and have a lot of fun with it. We are in a, in a setting where Jesus entered the home of a very influential man, and he had some very influential guests. And as they're almost gathering into this party, we see the Scripture um, takes off from that place. He told a parable to those who were invited. All right, so he's at the party. And when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, that's almost what prompted him to say what he's about to say. Now, we've got some chairs here tonight. I just want to know if you agree with me. Did I stack them correctly in the order of comfort to discomfort? Or did I make a mistake here? Help me so I knew. Is this tight match here or what? Is this fine? Is this, one, is this one more comfortable than this one? What about now? Okay, that's, that's better. That's better. Okay. Let's, now there's no, there's no match. Okay. All right. We're going to get to the chairs. Let's read together in verse 8 before we get to the chairs. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you, he, he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame and take the lowest place. So, what happens at those feasts, and I'm, we're going to have a picture of it in a moment, is there was places of honor. To be invited to a feast like that in itself is a great honor. But then within that feast, there was places that was deemed more honorable. And we'll chat about that in a second. Let's go on. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up here, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. That is a very odd scripture. I'll tell you why. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. All right. Did you know, let me just stop at verse 14 for a moment, in heaven or the new earth or when everyone dies or when Jesus comes back after that, whatever you want to call that, you will not float like an angel. All right? Uh, you will not uh, 
be a weird being with something over your head. You know what you will be? You'll be a human with a glorified body. All right? So the pattern of Jesus after death being raised up is the pattern our bodies will take. It's a glorified body. No more illness, no more pain. And we don't know everything about his glorified body, but what we do know is that it was a real body. He looked like himself. They recognized him once the Spirit opened um, their eyes. And he was able to eat. And so most biblical scholars would agree, in the heaven they will be feasting. For those of you that from Panekukau, Omaroi, unlimited, okay? Yeah. You will feast. You will have a body. You will, you will have probably more senses than what you have now. Maybe you can smell with your hands. I don't know. But it is a glorified body. It is amazing, amazing, all right? And what Jesus is alluding to is, remember, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So he's already saying, keep in mind that what you have here is not all there is. Let's just leave it there for now. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. That man understood this principle. But then he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who've been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, but I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring the poor and crippled, the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways, the hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Well, okay, that's a mouthful. We're going to dissect a smaller part of it and hopefully land this heart of generosity, generosity a disciple should have in our midst tonight. We have a picture there from a typical Greco-Roman feast. Okay, the Greeks and the Romans love to feast. People of influence, they always... Who, who of you enjoyed or still enjoy Asterix and Obelix, those books? This sort of great stuff. The man of influence is always the fattest, okay? Because he gives these meals. Who remembers those pictures? And then you get so hungry, it's like cake. And then there's like, you know, wild boar and the sauce is over. And the people are just feasting because it was very integral to the Greco-Roman culture to feast with people. And the man of influence, which can be called the patron, that's the man in the middle there with the white, okay? He's the man that provides the delicacies to his guests, okay? He's the man of the power of the hour, okay? Because he's the one that puts forth very expensive food for his people to enjoy and to feast on. 
typically like the party Jesus just walked into. Now in this party, it's not just about the food. The food is obviously incredible and the wine, and they would get intoxicated and do stupid things. But what is very important is the closer you get to the man of the power, the better for you. The closer you can be to the patron, the better. And here's why. The patron is a rich man. And the patron has food to share. The patron has money to share. He's got places for you and your family to stay. If you can get into his ear, and if you can be buddies with him, it is a good place to be. So if the patron was sitting here, this is a chair you want. You want to get close to the man. But from the patron's side, he's not stupid. He's not spilling his money. He's already selectively inviting his guests. You can't walk in there. You'll be thrown out by a guard or something. You need to be invited by the patron himself. Because if the patron, for example, lived in Secunda, there's a few people he would like to be at that feast. Think of the five most influential people in Secunda you know. They would be invited. Or at least for the venture he would like to be on. Let's say the patron there wants to get a piece of land and make money off it. The person that, that will be there amongst others is someone that's got the power to take a piece of land and divide it into 20 plots. Someone there from the municipality. If he's in car dealership salesman thing, maybe someone, you know that office where you have to renew your driver's license? It takes you a month, okay? If you get one of those people at that party, ah, A for away, you walk in there, you get your license, no problem. Maybe the headmaster of a high school preparing the way for your child. Someone high in Sussel. I, I don't know. The, each man has got his own plans. So the patron, every person in that room, except maybe the slave right there that's holding the basin, someone's washing their hands, is there for a reason. And for him spilling his money on them, is not a bad thing because he's going to get a what? A return on investment. He's going to lend the person by the municipality that gets paid by the government, he's going to lend him 100,000 and it's small change. Small change for him. And when he buys that piece of land for next to nothing through this connection, he's going to divide the land, sign the papers, he's going to make billions. The patron knows what he's doing. And so for him to spend a couple of thousand rand right there in that room, no problem. No problem. It's going to take his course further. Do you understand? That's what he does. And so Jesus comes in and he says, everyone is going for the seat of influence. Adir, that's what you do. If you get invited by the man and you stand in the corner, you are an idiot. Okay. You want to get in there. And what Jesus is saying is actually is absolutely a shock to the system. He says the following. We just have uh, number 10 on there, the next slide, yes. He says in verse 13, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. What? That makes no sense. That makes no sense that I will spend my money on those no good lazy people 
who can give me no return on investment. He goes on, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Here's the thing. I'm just putting a statement up there and then we'll work towards a few reasons why this is very reasonable. Jesus is asking for a generosity that is sacrificial in nature. He's asking the man to spend some of his best on people that can never give him something back. He's asking the man to be sacrificially generous. That's what he's asking the man. I just want to quickly um, sit on something before I um, I go on. He says, in verse 12, he says, Do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors. When he says that, um, he's not saying you're never allowed to have friends or family or a person you know that's influential or a friend. or That's not the point. What Jesus is doing here, he's speaking what they call a semantic idiom. And they are known in the Gospels, which often make the Gospels very hard to read. Another one would be just a little bit later in the chapter. He said, no one can come to me unless he hates his father and his mother. And everyone's like, what? It's an idiom. Okay. And everyone in that room, everyone in the audience there knew exactly what he's saying. He's using the, the emotion of a hyperbole to show you in comparison to God, your parents should be way lower on who instructs you how to live. All right? For example, if my parents, uh, if God says to my wife and myself and to some of you guys that we should go and be missionaries somewhere overseas, and we tell our parents and they say, no, you will not go, then we have to say, we love you and we honor you so much, but God already spoke. That's, that's the only thing what Jesus said when he said, you know, if you want to love me, you should hate your parents. He's saying the same thing here. He's saying, do not invite your friends, your brothers. Invite the poor, the crippled, the blind. So, listen up. It's what you call parallelism. Parallelism. It's a way to interpret scripture. In the same way as you should love God a lot more than parents, you should sacrificially be a lot more generous than forwarding your own status. That's what he's saying. That's the point. So what the world, what these people maybe even thought, some of them Pharisees, was once I've furthered my cases, my cause, whatever change I have, I will give it to the poor and that'll be, that'll be cool. What Jesus tells them in this place, he says, after you've accomplished your duty of generosity, it's optional to also serve your own needs. But it's not optional to be generous to those in need. That's what he's saying. He's coming in hard, okay? He's coming in hard. And we'll see now why. Don't, don't tap out. Are you with me? Take not in my and say, jelly tots or pizza is like a Okay, read with me. We're going to go through two passages of Scripture quickly and land three points 
on why this idea of sacrificial generosity is actually very realistic and very fair and actually a very natural next step for a believer. Read with me. When you are invited by someone, reading this again, to a wedding feast, do not sit in the place of honor. Now look at the chairs for a moment. I'm going to play around with this. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited. Right. And he who invited you both will come and say, listen up, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. You've got that. But when you are invited, go sit in the lowest, take note, this is Jesus speaking, go sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, and you will be honored. Then he says, listen up, very important, he's giving these guys such deep keys, I don't know if I got this. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Right, do you have it? Now, a little bit later in Luke, Jesus speaks again. We're not going to use this scripture to interpret what Jesus just said in the previous one. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Okay, we're dealing with the same crowd. He treated others and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other one a tax collector. Are you with me? Right. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, listen up, I thank you that I am not like those people. I thank you that I'm not like other men. They don't even have chairs. Extortionists, unjust, adulterers, or even this tactic. Lord, surely they don't deserve a great seat. But Lord, I'm so thankful that I'm not like them. This is the place where I live, right there. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other, for everyone, there's those words, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The very same words we get at the end of this passage in Luke 14. In the kingdom of God, let's talk spiritually. Every man that comes to God and say, I deserve this chair, Lord. They won't have a chair. And th this comes in various packages. Lord, I, I, I fast quite a lot. And, uh, um, you know, actually I've read this, the scripture since I was a young boy. And I know people that never, never do that. Um, I, I don't smoke uh, only a few times, but I, I actually have a, quite a good moral record. And, and you know what, Lord? I actually deserve this chair. There's no chair for you there. Because that's not how salvation works. The man who says, I deserve a chair, will not get a chair. Are you with me? Another man prays, a sinner, he says, Lord, I cannot lift my face. 
I don't even look that way because I know what awaits here and in the future when it comes to your kingdom and everlasting life. I don't deserve it because I am a sinner. The Father says, come. Here's your chair next to my chest. Are you with me? So the point he's trying to make when he speaks to the rich man that made the feast, and he said, don't, don't, don't invite only people that can pay you back. He's dropping a very deep spiritual truth. He's saying, you are the cripple man. You are the person below the bridge. You are the one outside, and I have arrived from heaven to bring you in on what I have done for you. What I want you to do is to reflect it, this value to the world. So bring those in who cannot repay you, like I have done for you. That's the heart of what Jesus is doing here. Why is sacrificial generosity normal for the believer? The first point, the generosity of Jesus bought my salvation Therefore, my life shine in the same way. What this means, and if you are young, listen to me. If you want to follow God, there is times when you will feel that you have less money than a person that's working with you that earns the same salary because you are being generous. That's right. Don't feel condemned about that. You are busy being generous. For the Christian, the person that follows God, there is a limited way of life that we sign up for the day we follow Jesus where we say, there's no cap on what God wants you to earn. Okay, If, you, if you're in a business, go flat out. We, Jesus wants you to be a good steward. Listen to what I'm saying. We're not promoting a poverty mentality, please. You must do the best business you can do. But what's very important is the way we live is simple so that we can present more generosity to the world. That's, that's, that's what scripture teaches us. Okay. In the long run, following God from a young age, following his voice, you will probably, I'm not making promises, end up financially a lot more healthy than without God. But on a day-to-day -day and a month-to-month -month basis, we are called to be generous, which means our full earning capacity cannot go to whatever is our interest. Because our first interest is the expanding of the kingdom spiritually and naturally. Or mission work and charity. Charity in the sense of looking after the poor. Why is that so normal? Because you are that charity case. <laughs> You are that person that was reached by Jesus. And that puts something in your spirit that propels the same generosity out there. Amen? We are called to be generous of heart. If, I said it this morning as well, if this congregation is known in this town as stingy people, then we need to close down. 
or repent. I don't know. Repent's maybe better than closing down. <laughs> but that's, that's the end of it if we continue down the road. We should be known as an extremely generous people. Not only in finances, that's one thing. Generous in, in heart, in conversation, engaging, caring in different ways, including caring very practically for those who can't care for themselves. Because that is what happened to us. Right? Does it make sense? Let's go on. Why is sacrificial generosity normal for the believer as sacrificial giving cost me status among men, God is already preparing my seat with him. Remember what he said? Invite those who cannot repay you and in the resurrection you will be rewarded. And so the picture is, there's one way, just imagine there's a story of a man that, I don't know, earned very well, spent a lot of himself and he's, he, was, he was like a patron. He had a lot of influence. And then he met God. And God said, I want you to do well. I want you to be productive. But I want you to be a lot more generous. And so what he does is he moves himself down this ladder that he wanted to climb up for many years in the eyes of others. And he said, Lord, I no longer care what other people think. He moves down as he's being more generous, all right, and as he looks after others, as he moves down, the father already steps in and is pulling the chair back for him. Now you are understanding my heart. Believers lives differently. And people know this, even unsafe people. That's why it's very hard for people to understand that a man preaches the gospel to people that's poor and sick and they must have a jet. It's hard for people to believe it. And they don't know why. They don't know why, but they actually write because it doesn't align with the gospel. The man should be leading in generosity. And so as a church and as believers, we should turn our hearts away and say, and acknowledge the church has hurt the world greatly when it comes to this. But let's do it right. Amen? Let, let's present ourselves to God as people he may use to change many lives. And then lastly, it is normal for the believer to live a sacrificial life when it comes to generosity because the generosity of God through his people is what leads to the saving of souls and the care for the weak. All right. It is through God chose to do it this way. It doesn't drop random packages of food through chimneys, okay? He uses his people as his hands and his fingers. People say it over and over and over. I don't know if you guys knew this, and this is not to propagate like world uh, distress relief or something, but there's enough food in the world for everyone twice as the need is. But people's hearts are too closed. So the provision cannot reach those who have nothing. People may say, God's such a harsh God. No, as humans, we're so harsh. We're so harsh. There's 18 farmers in the Northern Cape Karoo area that died in the last year through farm attacks. But there's over 100, listen to this, that committed suicide because their farms were 
were going down under the pressure, financial pressure of the drought. There is so many farmers in this country that's Christians that they only reached out with their excess. And people will say, I understand how God works. Because you are the solution. And I actually spoke to a farmer in Wellington this week and they are actually, God spoke to a bunch of them and they are moving. God wants to use us. We are the answer. You are the answer for that person at work that needs to hear the gospel. So it's both legs, all right? It's spiritual, primarily, and secondary, it's, it's natural in the sense that people must eat. But when a, when, a, when a group of people on an island or in a town, when they get saved through the wisdom of the Spirit, they set things in place to uplift the community. So we cannot only give people food and not lead them to God. Can you see that? But our generosity stretches to both spiritual mission and natural, let's just call it charity, okay? Uh, attending to the poor, attending to the weak. And it is the job of a church. So we are only a few people in this congregation, but we are definitely gonna talk more about how we can hit the right nails in this town and challenge one another to be sacrificially generous. Amen? Why? Because we are the subject of that generosity through Christ. He came and he got us. And now through our lives, as long as we have breath, we have the opportunity to shine and reflect the fact that God's great generosity has reached me. And I just want to say, if you think that I'm saying you must wait until you, uh, I don't know what that even is, but until you reach someday, you're making a big mistake. The greatest mentions in scriptures from people that had nothing, only, only were generous with a little bit, like a widow way back in the Old Testament that was able to bake cakes for a hungry prophet, or a woman that only had a little coin that had no value. So God views a little bit of generosity from a beautiful heart in the same way as someone that can give to a greater um, greater capacity but we are not advocating for money for the church or anything like that all we're saying is go and think about this put it on your heart and let's allow the gospel to work through us with this amen let's stand up and uh, and just give this to God this moment just ask him to land a spiritual depth in our spirit when it comes to understanding what it means to be a generous person in, in engaging and in, in different ways. He can do it. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you that because of your great generosity, we are saved. And Lord, as a congregation, we just want to say, and you can pray with me in your heart, that we don't deserve any of these chairs, Lord. We are on the outside. Broken through sin. And then the Savior came. What a wonderful message. What a wonderful memory, Lord, that I was taken by the hand 
and invited in to a place where I did not deserve to sit. And you lifted my head. Generosity has reached me. And thank you, Jesus, that you did not send a few golden stones from heaven, but you actually came and you were generous with your own life, your own blood, your own breath, putting everything on the table for us to be saved. We don't know, Lord, how to reflect that good enough, but we ask you to help us in this town. Won't you just have your hands like this, just open and just in a personal, in a personal prayer, just say, Lord, I am yours. Please use me to reflect your great generosity. And pray a personal prayer. Say, Lord, I don't have maybe a lot of this specific things to be generous in, but I can be generous in another way. But only let the generosity of God surely be felt through me in one way or another because it reached me. We bring you our hearts, Lord. I'm just reminded of the words of Jesus. Even if you give a glass of water to someone, the Father sees it. Generosity is about the heart. It's a, it's a posture of the heart. Is a posture of wanting to help others at the cost of yourself. That, that's the principle we're dealing with. Lord, show us beautiful ways of being generous. But only let us change this town, Lord. We praise your name, Lord. And Lord, for a moment, we just want to pray for, for those under the bridges, the crippled, the forgotten, the widows, the orphans, Lord, those who don't have a means to feed themselves. Lord, show us where they are. And help us, Lord, to minister in spirit and in natural ways to our capacity, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I, I want you just to sit down for a minute before we finish off. And I want you maybe to open your book if you want to. And I want you to write there. Just, just take a minute for this. Just make yourself a heading. And, and, and right there, Jesus, how can Werner, now just put your name in there, please. How can Anu, how can Ivanka, how can Silna, how can I reflect your generosity to the people and the world around me? And just look at that and just giving you a minute. Maybe there's one or two thoughts that comes up. You know that caring for someone with a nice cup of tea is a start. It might be the greatest act of generosity that that person had perceived this year.
And then just before we finish off, I want you, this is very hard. If you want the hard truth, ask a truth-speaking friend, but the feedback might be harsh. Ask yourself, do you think you deserve this? Seat before God? I just want to warn you. Please change your mind. None of us deserve to be in the kingdom of God. Just look at these chairs for a moment. We can only be saved if we come to him and say, I know I don't deserve. That's when he invites us. Just look, just look at this here. 